before Madonna, before Lady Gaga, there was a larger-than-life, fierce female vocalist. I'm talking about the living legend herself, the incredible, the powerful Miss Patti LaBelle. Over her five-decade career, this two-time Grammy winner has done just about everything. She's gone from singing gospel to singing with the Bluebells to leading the funk group La Belle to achieving lasting success as a solo artist. And in 2015, she found yet another way to perform. Patti became an audience favorite on Dancing with the Stars. Her achievements are even more remarkable when you learn that, as a child... Miss Patty wanted nothing to do with the spotlight. It's kind of hard to believe that the singer of New Attitude started off as quiet and shy. She had no idea that she'd find a lifelong home in front of adoring crowds, using that God-given gift, her voice. Everybody has a story, and there is something to be learned from every experience. Use your life as a class. This is Masterclass with Patti LaBelle. You're going to get a different Patti every show you see. I'm not one of those mechanical chicks. No. I could never do the same 15 songs the same way every night. And when I get on stage, I don't know where it's coming from. I just know that it happens. It happens. I have this wonderful following of gay, straight, black, white, Asian, all types of people, all ages. And they respond very well to me. Also, they know that I'm very honest. So it's a lot of honesty going on with my shows. Like when I am hoarse, I'll tell them in the middle of the show when nothing comes out, I said, I lost it. So you can go get your money back. Everybody's having a fit back. Say, said, no, she didn't. I said, yes, I did, because I totally lost my voice. And so they appreciate that. Whenever I come to town, everybody knows that they're going to get an honest show. No voice boxes, no singing to track, no dancers all around me, <laughs> things like that. No stuff. I don't props. No nothing. Just a voice. That's who I am. That's what I give. And it's honest. When I started singing, it was in my bedroom with a broom as a microphone. And the reason I think I sang is because I heard my father singing in the house all the time, and he sounded pretty good. Not a great singer, but he, he knew how to stay on key. <laughs> and I, I think that's where I got my talent from, my father. And the more he sang, the more I sang. But I was a shy kid, so my mother would give me a quarter to go out in the playground and play with kids and do normal things, but I was very, very shy. And one day, my mother said, you need to go and sing in the choir. And so I went to the choir rehearsal, and I listened. And I, I think the choir director asked me what I sing because she did hear that Patty had a voice. And I sang, and she didn't want me to sing in the chorus. She wanted me to sing lead. She said, you're great. Mrs. Chapman was the choir director. I would call her my savior. She saved my life as far as my having an occupation in life because I, I think hadn't she told me that I had a great voice, I don't know what I would be doing now. I might not be singing, you know, because I, I, I had that shy thing about me and my voice came out in church. 
I really thank her so much for bringing me out. She pushed me every Sunday, you know, from singing duets with her son at the beginning, who had a very Luther Vandross type of voice. He could really sing. And we did a God Specializes together. That's an old gospel song. And that's when I realized I could sing. And then after that, singing solos and getting hallelujahs from the audience and standing ovations. And that girl sure can sing. And after singing my first solo and got a hallelujah and a standing ovation from the congregation, I said, hey, that feels pretty good. You know, it took some of my shy away as singing in front of everyone. So that's how I really started singing. Mrs. Chapman, she just stayed on my case. Uh, she said, now don't ever stop singing. No matter what you do, don't stop singing. And I don't think she mind that I ended up singing R&B and pop and whatever you want to call it, as long as I use my talent. She said, don't ever lose it, use it. So I've been using it. But wherever you are, my darling, thank you for bringing me out. <laughs> I grew up with my three sisters and my mother and father. Yeah, a house full of wonderful women, beautiful sisters. Barbara, who was the elegant, beautiful, classy, almost like a church girl. But she cursed worse than a sailor, which I love because I curse too. And we grew up in a house of curse and love. <laughs> and then there was my sister Vivian who was another class act. Whenever she would go to work, I would steal her clothes and go to school, and I would get, like, the best dress awards and stuff. I was fierce in her sweaters. And my youngest sister, Jackie, fought for Patti LaBelle as a celebrity. She thought that I was too nice to people and giving people second chances when they would mess me up in management and whatever. Oh, so many stories I could tell you. One night in Atlantic City, we had a fight because Jackie would try to sell her T-shirts and different things in the lobby of my shows. One night she asked me, could she? And I said, no. And there was really no reason for me to tell her no. I said, Jackie, you're not selling them tonight, and that's it. Ooh, she called me a few names, I had to beat her up. And I strangled her with my bra. My friend, Norma, was in the room. She, she saved my sister. I was choking her with my bra. <laughs> Ooh, baby. We fought, but she saw me as a superstar. I never saw myself as a super, superstar. You could be as big as Barbara Streisand. You could be this. You could be that. I said, but Jackie, it's going to happen when it happens. So we fought more about my becoming a bigger star than anything. We just had a fun, loving, fighting family. And then they all died. Barbara, beauty, she died of cancer. And Vivian and Jackie died of cancer. Jackie, the day before she died, she asked me to make her egg sandwich, and I had just gotten off the road. And the hospital was five minutes from my house. And I said to my aunt, because Jackie couldn't speak very well then, I said, Aunt Hattie may tell her that I'll make it tomorrow. The next day, I made the sandwich. I said, Hattie, I'm on my way. She said, don't rush. Your sister just passed. And I held that. And I still hold it because it was such a minor thing for me just to make a sandwich because she loved the way I cooked. I miss my sister Jackie like crazy. 
I adopted her son, Billy, and her daughter, Stacy, and uh, I sang at her funeral. And right after that, I did my video of If You Ask Me To. And the tears were, were tears because that was the day that her casket was closed. And it was just... But I learned a lot. Live your life today because you have no idea what can happen in the next hour of this day. You know, so love the ones you love, but let them know you love them. She knew I loved her, but I was busy touring and I was too tired to make that sandwich that day. So do it now. Do everything now you can for your family. I'm holding on to my son, Zuri, and my adopted kids because we're all the family I have. And life is strange. So take advantage of each day like it's the last day of your life. My neighbor was an entertainment manager of groups. That's how it really started. One day he found out that I was a singer. And so he wanted to do something with my voice. This gentleman, Bernard Montague, had a singing group that was Sarah Dash and Nona Hendricks. And then there was another lady from Camden, Cindy Birdsong. I joined them and we became the Bluebells. The first song we did was I Sold My Heart to the Junk Man. We toured with the Rolling Stones. Elton John was my piano player back in the day. And we went through a lot of things as the Bluebells traveling. We rode from Philly to Los Angeles because we were opening a show for the Rolling Stones. And we stopped in Detroit to buy outfits. And we got to L.A. We were staying at some hotel, but the Stones were there also. And Sarah, or Nona, told me that we had a radio interview. And I put on all my new clothes and got dressed because I love to dress anyway. Although you don't have to get dressed for radio because can't anyone see you, but I wanted to leave the hotel looking fierce. And after I put my clothes on, they said, psych, we were only joking. And I beat one of them up with a bag of peanuts. We started roughing it up. Here's someone knocking on the door and it was Mick. He said, why are you girls fighting? I said, because they lied to me. <laughs> anyway, we fought, but we had fun, just a lot of fun. <laughs> there was one time we were doing a show in Ohio, and it was half an hour before we left the hotel, so we all waited for Cindy Birdsong to come and get in the car. And there was no Cindy. And that was weird, so we were thinking all kind of crazy things. So, of course, we had to do the show. And later, she called us and said, girls, I'm sorry, but I'm with the Supremes now. And I said, ooh. I said, that's sweet. <laughs> I was pissed. <laughs> they wanted to replace Florence Ballard. And Cindy Birdsong looked very much like Florence Ballard. So she left to go with the Supremes. But it was done the wrong way. I would have agreed to her going with the Supremes who were doing so much better than our group. Why not graduate? So I would have said, go ahead, Cindy, but let us know first. Or Diana, talk to me first and let me know. Don't just snatch a girl from me. So that hurt for a long time. When things happen to me that are not so pleasant, I don't let it bring me down. I take the high road and I forgive, but I never forget. But I do take the high road You'll never see me disrespecting anyone, no matter what they've done to me.
And I found a way to forgive Cindy and the Supremes for that. They wanted to enhance their group. You didn't diminish mine. You know, you just took a great friend of mine away. But we're still friends today. Bottom line is, it's okay. I love her madly. I've had a crazy life, but it ends up well. The Temptations were in Philadelphia playing at the showboat downtown. And after I saw the show, they knew Patti LaBelle was in the audience. And they introduced themselves. And for some reason, Otis and I became attracted to Otis Williams of The Temptations. So I ended up seeing Otis, and we ended up becoming engaged. And then he gave me this beautiful ring, and he talked about what kind of life we were going to have and everything. And I'm saying, yeah. I said, am I attracted to a temptation or to a man that I want to be with? I think I was more in love with the temptations than Otis Williams, who was a very sweet man. They were big at that time, you know, and sometimes you get a little celebrity crazy. And I think I was in that category. Child, that my girl and all those songs went through my mind. And I said, I don't think this is going to work. And the reason I said it is because he wanted me to move to Detroit and stop singing and not use this. I don't think so. I said, really? <laughs> I said very nicely, the engagement is off. I have to sing for the rest of my life, no matter what. If they weren't paying me, I have to sing. <laughs> That's how it is with me. No matter what, I'm going to sing. Yes. <laughs> I still really care for him very much. He's a sweet man, but I'm glad I didn't marry you, boo-boo. Now, that was a good move on my part. <laughs> I knew that I was more than that. So believe in yourself and release yourself of things that you think you want. Release that mind and say, no, I want to do better. There's no other group like LaBelle. There never will be. Sarah Ashnow and Hendrix and Patti LaBelle. And we wore the most outrageous, beautiful clothes. And the reason we wore the clothes is to get your attention. Because three black ladies up there is just in regular gowns. That's not going to work. Most of the time, it doesn't work. So that was all the gimmick. We did the most. We were Madonna and Gaga before they were. And Kiss, they saw our clothing and went to our designer. So we were kissed before they were kissed. You know, we were ahead of our time. And let me tell you, there's not been another LaBelle out. In life, you have questions and you're afraid to take chances. You're afraid to ask questions. One day, I thought a crazy thing. Is it possible that the three of us could play the Metropolitan Opera House? So I went to the promoter at the Metropolitan Opera House, Ron Delsner, and said to him, what would you think of LaBelle playing the Met? Because I told Sarah Nona at the time he could say yes or no. And he said, a quick yes. You know, why not have three black women at the Metropolitan Opera House with their crazy, beautiful costumes singing their faces off? So we did it. And I remember Cher was there. The cycle sluts, there were people with their behinds hanging out of their silver costumes, and it was fun. I flew from the ceiling, and Nona was rising from the floor, and Sarah was 
skipping or whatever. It was just a great night, a great time in our lives, you know, being LaBelle. Sometimes you think you're not worthy of this job or worthy of that. You don't think that you're worthy of the Metropolitan. You're afraid of yourself. Get out of your own way. You're worthy of anything you know you can do well. But just ask the question. Don't punk out. Ask the question and get that great. Yes. My mother and father had a relationship that was very turbulent. They fought a lot. And I watched that. I would break out in hives. I would go to the doctors every Monday for shots because I would be all splattered with hives, nerves, watching them fight. The best thing that happened is when they divorced because they needed to be away from each other and never to be friends again. Sometimes you stay friends with your ex. Sometimes you don't. I was married for 32 years. Armstead, my ex-husband, he managed me for many years and asked me to marry him three times, and I said no. The fourth time, I asked him, because I said, I can't find a nicer man than him, so let me just ask him, will he marry me? And he said, let me give it a few days. So he gave it a few days, and he said yes. And we went to the Justice of the Peace in Maryland and got married. You know, it was a small a small, cute wedding, and I had crabs that night. Hard shell crabs from Baltimore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness, yeah. That was my celebration, you know, crabs and beer. So that's what I had. <laughs> and we were together for 32 years, and we realized that we couldn't live together anymore. We liked each other from a distance. So when you feel that... Somebody got to go. And when you leave, leave as friends. I never hated him. He never hated me. But we just couldn't live together. Not because of physical fights. Or we, we never fought, thank God, in 32 years. We got along even when we didn't get along. But then we realized that we had to leave each other. But we're cool now. Yeah. It's like he's one of my best friends. We have a son, Zuri. And I didn't want to make it so hard on Zori. And there was no reason for me to ever be evil with his father. So why not be friends? Get along and remain friends. And not just for the kids' sake, but for your sake, because why should you be going around disliking your ex-spouse and feeling every time you see him, you have to, like, shy away or say something disgusting? It's unnecessary. We just went to my grandbaby showers two nights ago, and he bought me seaweed salad over the next day because <laughs> he lives about 10 minutes from me. So we're good friends. I have a son, Zuri, and he was made in Japan. We had sake, I got drunk, and he was made in Japan. <laughs> he hates that story. Oh, my goodness, but it's true. When Zuri was born, I cried all the time. I was going through postpartum depression because I was just feeling, not feeling myself the way I used to. And I would cry and my friend Laura would come up and rock him to sleep. And when women go through this, they don't know that they're going through postpartum depression. And they just think that that's the way it's supposed to be for them. They never check it. 
and I went through a dark period for a moment, and then I snapped out of it. And when you're going through postpartum depression, those feelings are very normal. Don't beat yourself up. Raise that baby. <laughs> I was performing many years ago in Albany, New York, and I fell down on the floor. I passed out, and I was rushed to the hospital, and the doctor came back with my diagnosis, and I thought he was going to say, oh, you're exhausted because we have been working a lot. And he said, did you know that you were a diabetic? I said, no, I didn't. My mother was diabetic and had her legs amputated. And my aunts and uncles, they all went blind. And I said, no, I didn't have a clue. So, of course, you start thinking about the things that you've been doing in your life, like cooking food improperly, like frying the whole chicken and eating the whole chicken and French fries and macaroni and cheese, potato salad, fresh fried corn with butter and cream. Everything I loved, I had to modify now. I had to start broiling, baking the chicken and just eating vegetables as I did. But instead of putting ham hocks <laughs> in them, I just changed my way of living. And of course, you have to start exercising more. You have to keep your weight down. You have to leave the cakes alone. I was addicted to cheesecake. Every now and then, if that sugar goes low, I'll have my little bite of cheesecake. But your whole lifestyle changes. But most people are walking around with diabetes and they don't have a clue that they might have it because they don't get tested. I wouldn't have never gone to get tested unless that had happened that night when I passed out. So people just don't think that they will end up with diabetes. And there are so many people who, they won't go to the hospital. Your eyesight starts acting funny, things happening with your body that normally don't happen. Go see a doctor and just see. And he might tell you you're fine, you know, but at least find out. A lot of people, because I did a few commercials for diabetes, after seeing me, it made them go to the doctors. And it's sad that a celebrity has to tell you to check yourself and people listen to us. Don't listen to us all the time because sometimes we be lying. <laughs> check your body the way it feels. If you feel funny, go. Don't listen to Patty LaBelle. Just go for yourself. Patty's group LaBelle had brought her fortune and fame, but it was also limiting the kinds of music that she felt she could perform live. She sensed that she had something new to give, and though it was difficult, she honored that voice inside her and decided it was time to go it alone as a solo artist. What followed was a kind of success that, to this day, nourishes her soul. When the group broke up, LaBelle, that was one of the hardest things for me. And the reason we broke up, I didn't like singing rock all the time. Nona loved it. Sarah went along with it. And I wanted to sing ballads. So we realized we could not stay together any longer. And we left on a good note. And of course, we did music after that and toured after that. But I never wanted to be a solo singer. I was always afraid of people blaming Patti LaBelle for the breakup of LaBelle. Because with Diana Ross, of course, they blamed her for the breakup of the group. 
And it was that all three of us wanted to leave. And so when I had to do my first solo show, I had to see a shrink because I was petrified. I said, they'll never, never accept me. And the show was in London. And I saw the doctor and we had a few sessions. Still didn't take the fear away from me. So the night of the show, I got a standing ovation afterwards. And I felt as though they didn't see me as the blame of the groups breaking up. So since then, I've missed them on stage the first few months that I went out by myself because I'm always looking to them. And they're not there. It's just me. My band and my background singers are far away from me. So I'm solo now. And I love it. So don't be afraid of change. I've been accused of staying in my own way for many years. You know, sometimes you think you know it all. And if it's your craft, if it's making clothes, you can't listen to anyone and say, no, that lining should be double stitch. You said, no, it should be single stitch. People telling you exactly what to do. Song, sing it this way. No, don't sing it that way because I do it this way. And sometimes you should stick to your guns. But every now and then know that there's somebody who can do something so much better than you. So let them try. You know, like Artem, my dance partner, Dancing with the Stars. I thought I could do my dance this way. And of course, he's a professional, so who am I to second judge him? And I learned a lot from him. He was in charge of me. So I ended up doing it his way, and it was right. You know, get out of your own way. Let somebody else tell you their way of doing it. Have an open mind, because you don't know it all. We all learn. Yeah, I'm always saying, no, I know how to do this. I can do it better, but I can't. I'm still learning. Every day I'm learning. I do say stay out of your own way. When we were doing Dancing with the Stars, we were rehearsing because every day before the uh, Monday show, we have to do a dress rehearsal. And so they were putting up the next set for s someone to dance. And the band knows me very well. And so they started playing You Are My Friend, one of my favorite songs. And I had my chest mic on. So I started singing it, and my friend, my partner, Artem, gets the microphone from the band and gives it to me, and I threw down. The crew stopped doing what they were doing. They said, nobody's ever done that. It was just like so spontaneous. I said, God told me to sing right then, and I threw down. I loved it, and the background singers knew the song, so we did a mini concert. So I don't know when I'm gonna sing. I had a list of people who tried to bring me way down, but thank God I'm still bubbling. I'm still up. I'm up. And I'm happy. But some folks will blow out someone's candle so that theirs can shine brighter. It's been done to me. But mine never dulled. Even though the flame was gone, my flame wasn't gone. You know, by saying certain things about me and not being on my my side or whatever, which I really don't care. But it's like trying to diminish someone. And misery loves company, but they can never blow out my light. And that's, that's really what it is. Always know that you're shining no matter what anyone says about you. As long as you know that you've treated everybody well that you know, you can never be dimmed. It's like a big Christmas gift to get a standing ovation. You know, I cry some nights, you know, when that happens. 
And when they chant my name, Patty, 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 it's the most wonderful feeling. It's a blessed feeling because they're not going to stand for everybody. Everyone in the audience, they've been touched by one of my experiences. If I sing a song and speak of my relationship with my sisters, and there are people who are touched that my father died of Alzheimer's, and people feel every emotion that I've gone through in that audience. You've brought them to laughter. You've brought them to tears. And I just take that as another blessing that I've been given. So I feel as though I've pleased when I leave the stage and they're standing and cheering for more. And that more, more sounds even better than a standing ovation feels, girl. <laughs> more, more, more. And then I'm back there like a superstar saying, oh, I'm not going to do one right. Lying to myself. Honey, I can't wait to get back out there and do another song. <laughs> Always know that you're shining no matter what. That's not just something Patty says, it's really how she lives. In her legendary career, Patty LaBelle has recorded hits, acted in the movies and on Broadway, and authored books, but her true passion remains performing live. And at age 71, she's still electrifying crowds around the globe and finding new ways to connect with her audience. She is living proof that age doesn't define who we are, and what we can accomplish. Patti LaBelle, you are one fierce master. I would sit here and lie if I said my whole life was beautiful and wonderful and there were no downs and no deep valleys. I've been through it all. But as they say, look at me now. <laughs> I am good. I am so happy. Sometimes I, I check myself. I said, is this really you, Patty? <laughs> You're that happy? I woke up happy. I've been going to bed happy. I am touched by angels. I am. People ask me all the time, you know, why are you still here? You know, why are you still performing at 71 the way you did when you were 20? I have no answer for that. Things are happening for me more now than when I was 20 and 30 and 40 and 50. At 70, it seems that I'm reaching this place in my life that I never thought would happen. And now my door has opened so wide. There's even a window over there that's open with my name on it. And it's coming at a late age. And that's what I was saying to a lot of women and men. Don't let your age fool you. It's only a number. You can do as much with 70 as you can with 20. I guess that's why I'm still here, because my spirit is so wild and so engaging. And I love what I do. I am loving myself like crazy. Nobody in this world can love me like I love me. Nobody. Just leave out the hate and bring on, as they turn up the love. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Masterclass, the podcast. You can follow Masterclass on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't already, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Masterclass podcast.